preview of heaven. And we're going to be using Philippians 3 this morning as our foundation. If you want to turn to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul has been talking about our great salvation. He's been talking about that we're pressing on towards the mark for the high call of God in Christ Jesus. And he, and he brings it down to its conclusion in verse 20 and says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Eugene Peterson in the message translation in his ineffable manner says it this way, but there's far more lot to life for us. We're citizens of high heaven. We're awaiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. He'll make us beautiful and whole, just like we sang of, with the same powerful skill by which he is putting everything as it should be under and around him. A sneak preview of heaven. And my goal, really, this series that we're going to do for the next three weeks is really, number one, to create excitement. To create excitement for you about heaven. Because, you know, life has its way of squashing our excitement about heaven, doesn't it? I mean, when you're going through what our pastor has been going through, and you're dealing with life and trying to get through life and get through treatments, it's hard sometimes to think about heaven. In fact, we don't want to think about it because that means we're going to die. Uh, it's hard when we're, when we're going to work every day and we're in that, that traffic and we're fighting the traffic and we're fighting the clock and we're fighting the client and we're fighting the deadlines and we're dealing with the bosses and we're dealing with our fellow workmates and we're dealing with all the issues that are there to be dealt with. It's hard to think about heaven sometimes. And, and, and when we're dealing with the issues with our kids, you know, that they're being rebellious or that they are being disrespectful or that they're going through difficult times, that first breakup of that little girl when she realizes at 10 years of age that she met the man that she wanted to marry and is deeply in love with. And she goes through the trauma of her, her very first breakup. And you're dealing with all those things or the, the struggles and tensions that come with marriage and being married to somebody that's not exactly like you. It, it's hard sometimes to, to keep our focus and we lose that excitement. But I want you to notice what Paul says here. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await. And that word await in the... Greek literally means to eagerly, expectantly wait. To eagerly, expectantly wait. To be excited about something like that movie. Like that Star Wars movie is coming out. I'm so excited. Or some of you are getting excited because we're moving into July. And then it's going to be August. And guess what that means? Football is right around the corner. And Ohio State is just around the corner again. And you're getting excited. There's anticipation for that event. I want you to be excited about heaven. But then I also want to create understanding. 
I want to create understanding. Imagine that there are five guys, and they are being trained to go on a mission to Mars. And let's say you are one of them. And you've been preparing for years and years to go to Mars. And it, it's the day before you're to get on the ship that's going to take you to Mars. And you're, you're having your press interview. And all the hands are popping up in the air. And one of the reporters says to you, uh, John, John, I have one question for you. What do you know about Mars? What do you know about where you're going? Well, I really don't know anything about it at all. Never really thought about Mars very much. Really haven't given much thought to it and really, really considered it very much. You know, you would scratch your head and look and say, wait a minute, you're going to Mars, but you don't even know anything about it? And, and you're telling me we'll figure it out when we get there. You'd say, you're crazy. Because you want to have some understanding, right? That's where you're going. And so I want to create some understanding this morning about heaven because, as, jo as Paul said, it's where our citizenship is. It's what we're awaiting. It's where we're going. And we need to understand it. But it's interesting that in today's world, with the sermons we see, you know, most sermons focus on the... We're not getting anything? Okay, all right. All right, I get to do this. <clears throat> like Rod Parsley. I'm robots! <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. Is that better now? Okay. So, you know, what, what I want to do with this series is I want us to think about heaven because if you really look back over the years, most of our sermons that we hear in the world today on TV, radio, are about how to live in this world. And they should be. Nothing wrong with that. But it's about how to overcome anxiety, how to be financially free, how to have a better marriage, how to deal with children that are difficult, how to go through suffering, things that are about this world. And, and we need to know those things because they're in the Scripture. But when was the last time you really heard a series about heaven? About our future home and a real true understanding of, of what heaven is is like. When I was growing up, um, and I'm going to tell my age, some of you are going to tell your age too. There used to be a program on called the Art Link Letter Show. How many of you remember that? Oh yeah, yeah. And, and it was one of those daytime shows. My grandmother watched it every single day. And, and one of the segments of his program was kids say the darndest things. And so I've got some of those statements that some children made about their understanding of heaven. He said, Mom, God's so neat, and heaven's supposed to be so great. Could me and Gloria go there Saturday for a sleepover? You know, heaven is just something we just go there and come back. One person had a three-year-old granddaughter, Morgan, came over one day, and uh, they were sitting in the room, and she said to her grandma, where's grandpa? And she answered their granddaughter and said, he's in heaven. And the little girl looked at him and said, still? Six-year-old Rachel said, God, they keep telling us you love us kids, but I'm wondering if you know my older brother. Do you think he'll ever get to heaven? Some of us have prayed that prayer. Another one said, Grandma's gone to heaven and she'll be happy there because there's a dairy queen everywhere, right? Okay. 
Jenny, four years old, says, does heaven have a floor? Surprised, the mother said, well, Jenny, what do you think heaven is like? She looked up to the sky and the clouds and replied, here's what she said, well, I can't see any floor, so I guess people are just up there on coat hangers. This is one you'll appreciate. One day, my five-year-old grandson, Brett, who likes to go fishing with his dad, told his mother, if grandma's going to heaven with us, God better have a pretty big fishing rod to haul her in. And it's fun when we hear kids say things like that, but do we really have a true understanding of heaven? So what we're going to do in this series, and we're going to do it very quickly, because normally I do this in about 10 weeks, so you're getting the more condensed version of it, but, but it's going to really challenge some of your thinking because some of us have what I call myths about heaven, things that we've heard, but we've never really studied to see if that's what the Scripture says. Some of you are, heaven is going to become more real to you than it ever has been before. For some of you, it's going to refresh an old, stale truth that maybe you've put in the back closet of your your theology, and you haven't really thought about it for a long time. For some of you, it's going to begin to make things make sense about the Bible and pull together a lot of things that you were trying to kind of piece together like a crossword puzzle to make sense of it. And, and for some of you, it's going to make some passages make sense, and then others of you, you're going to say, man, I've got to delve into this some more. I need to know more about where it is that I am heading. So we're going to begin this brief series. We're going to look at five things this morning. First of all, I want to say to you, heaven is real. Heaven is a real place. Imagine someone telling you that their citizenship is in Never Never Land with Peter Pan. You would say, what meds are you on, dude? Because you say, Never Never Land is not real. Or somebody saying, my grandma's coming to visit me from Never Never Land. Well, for a lot of people, heaven is kind of like that, that fantasy kind of place. Stephen Hawkins, who was an English theoretical physicist, cosmetologist, not cosmetologist, cosmologist, and uh, not a cosmetologist, might have needed to be, and an author who lived with a motor neuron disease from the age of 21 until he died in 2018, said this about heaven. He said, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There's no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Well, I'm afraid of the dark then. Because I know that heaven is a real place, amen? Heaven is real. Bill Nye, the popular guy that uh, created the show called The Science Guy, said, overwhelming evidence proves there is no afterlife. I'd like to see his evidence. I've never seen it. Paul made it very clear, though, in our passage, Philippians 3, he said, our citizenship is in heaven. And notice this, and he says, from it we await a Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Now what it says? We await a Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not one of these that get into, and I, I remember back in 2010, there was a book called Heaven is 
real by a little boy that supposedly had a out-of-body experience and went to heaven and came back, and it was all the rave. Everybody's buying the book. It's the number one bestseller. We've all heard about the the afterlife experience. Somebody died, and they saw a beautiful light, and they came back, and they're telling everybody about it. And I, you know, okay, that's all right. I'm I'm not into that kind of thing, but I am big on the account of the one who made heaven and came to earth to tell us about heaven. Amen? So look over at John chapter 14, because John 14, he, he gives us just a real quick overview of the fact that heaven is a very, very real place. Here's what he says, John 14, verse 1 and 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now I want to ask you a very intelligent question. Who created heaven? Jesus. Did Jesus come from heaven? Yes. Did Jesus go back to heaven? Yes. Do you think he knows what heaven is? And, and when I read these verses, I don't read that heaven is a fairy tale place. I read that it is a real place. In fact, I just want to give you some real quick thoughts about it. Number one, it's a paternal place. Because he says it's my father's house. It's where the father is. And, and you know this if you're, you, well, you all have parents, that you'll always say that that's my home. You have a new home where you are. But that's home, and you always look forward to going to that place. I was telling Cindy this morning, we were coming over. Both my parents have passed away, and she was talking about her mom and calling her. And I just said this morning, I said, you know, I miss my mom and dad. I, I miss going home. I miss going to that place because that's where my father was. Heaven is a paternal place. It's a father. But it's also a prodigious place. That means it's an expansive or a large place. It says, in my Father's house are many rooms. And we're going to talk about that uh, a couple of weeks later, about just even some dimensions that we just are given in the book of Revelation that give us some sense of it. But when we sing that song, there's, though millions may come, there's still room for one. In other words, heaven is a huge place. There's plenty of room for us. He says there's many rooms, but it's also a promised place. Because Jesus promises in this passage that he's going there to prepare a place for us, and then he's coming back to take us where he is. So it's a promised place. But then fourth of all, it's a prepared place. A prepared place. And I wish we had time to really get into this, but Jewish customs of marriage before a, a groom could take his bride, he had to go and prepare a place for that bride to live. And all the women said, Amen. Yeah. He had to go and prepare a place. And the father had to approve the place before the son could ever go and get his bride. A lot of biblical imagery that is filtered throughout the scriptures based on just the whole concept of a Jewish marriage. But he would have to prepare the place. And I know we've all sang the song, you know, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop, right? You sang that song, right? That is theologically incorrect because it says there in my father's house, there are what? Rooms. 
And it was common in that day, in our world today, we go and build subdivisions and buy houses. In that day, what would happen, and some of you parents are going to cringe, they would just build a room onto the house where the son and the daughter-in-law would move in. My son my wife and I were talking about, can you imagine that? You know, now kids at home and there's babies screaming next door there. But, but literally, they were rooms. And so Jesus says, there's not going to be a mansion over the hilltop. We're going to be right there with him. Isn't that cool? But heaven is a precious place because he says, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me where I am. What's more precious than being where Jesus is? Amen. We get to be where he is. It's a perpetual place. It's not like our neighborhoods. And in my neighborhood that I was raised in, I was only four miles away from Elvis. If you've ever been to Graceland, you've seen it. But don't go outside the area of Graceland because now that whole area has gone down the tube. It's not safe anymore. But when I was there, it was a beautiful place. Our neighborhoods deteriorate. Our health deteriorates. Heaven is a perpetual place that will never deteriorate. But I like this. Heaven is a populated place. Because he says, I'm going to go and get you, and I'm going to bring you there. Well, he's not just giving that promise to Greg or to Heather or to Marla or to Jonathan or Jim or Bob. He's giving it to all of us, so he's going and taking all of us there. So guess who's going to be there? All of us. Amen? It's going to be a populated place. It's going to be a glorious place. What I want to say to you this morning is that heaven is more real than this very building that you and I are in this morning. Heaven is more real than the heart that's beating in your chest right now, and hopefully it's beating a little faster. Heaven is more real than that person that is sitting next to you. In fact, I want you to reach out to that person that's next to you. Put your hand on them. Now, pinch them. Are they there? Yeah. They're more. Heaven is more real than that person you just... Heather, you're, you're squeezing his leg. That's not pinching. She's over here flirting over here. Nah, that wasn't a pinch there. But heaven is a real place. It, it, heaven is more real than Stephen Hawkins ever realized, but he now realizes. Sadly, for him, he also now realizes that heaven is real. Oh, not only real, but hell is real. Heaven's a real place. But then second of all, I want you to see that heaven is God's creation. Heaven is God's creation. Listen to these verses. Isaiah 37, verse 16 says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherub, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Listen to that. You have made heaven and earth. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, most of us just think that heaven has always been, but I want you to understand something. God is eternal, but heaven is not. You go to the next slide there. God is eternal, heaven is not. Consciously or unconsciously, we tend to think that, that heaven is, has always been there. But heaven was actually created by God. For something to be eternal, it means it has to be self-existent. That it didn't have any beginning, and it doesn't have any ending. Like God. God has no beginning, He has no 
ending. There's nothing that keeps him going. He is self-existent. Here's what Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That means everything outside of God was created by God, even heaven. Randy Elkhorn in his book, Heaven, says, Because God created heaven, it had a beginning and is therefore neither timeless nor changeless. It had a past, the time prior to Christ's incarnation, death, and resurrection. It has a present, the present or intermediate heaven where believers go when they die. And it will have a future, the new earth that God is going to create. Second of all, God is omnipresent. Heaven cannot contain him. You know, we say, where is God? He's in heaven. Heaven cannot contain God. Do you know that? Heaven cannot contain God. Listen to what Solomon said in 1 Kings 8.27. I think I have that verse for you. He says, but God will indeed dwell on the earth. Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I built. Solomon says, we're building a house here. And, and, and the Jews fell into this mistakenly belief that, that God dwelt in the house. That house cannot contain him, First Kings says. Neither can the heavens contain him because our God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Randy Alcorn again says, creatures, however, do need a place. So when God created angels, likely he created heaven as a place for them to be. God transcends heaven. He is bigger than heaven. But that leads to number three. Heaven is God's chosen dwelling place. It is his chosen dwelling place. Again, 1 Kings 8.30, And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place, again to the temple. And listen in heaven your dwelling place. While heaven cannot contain God, it is the place where God chooses to dwell. It is the place where God chooses to dwell with His creation, with His people, with the elect, those that have been saved, the, the citizens of heaven. And He created it uniquely to be His dwelling place and His home. Just a few things that let us know that. Number one, heaven is where God's throne resides. You're going to have to look at these later on because we can't go into a lot of detail, but if you go to the next screen, heaven is where God's throne resides. Isaiah 66 verse 1 says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? In other words, heaven is the place where God has chosen to dwell. And if I can say it this way, it is his command center. It is the place of operation where God is doing the things that he is doing. It's where he is carrying out his plan, especially as we go to the book of Revelation in a few weeks. Second of all, heaven is where God dwells with men. Heaven is where God dwells with men. Revelation 21, we'll be looking at this later on. And again, I'm reading you a lot of verses because we can't get to them all. But it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, by the way, the new heaven, new earth is that future heaven. 
Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Hallelujah. Heaven is where God dwells with us, and we have that perfect relationship that we long for, we want so deeply. There will be no longer the feeling of, I don't know what God really wants. I'm not sure what God is really doing. I'm trying to understand what's happening here. Third of all, heaven is where God receives perfect worship. Heaven is where God receives perfect worship. Revelation 4, 10, and 11. The 24 elders fell down before him who was seated on the throne and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed, and they were created. In other words, in heaven there's going to be perfect worship. Now our brother led a great service this morning, and I appreciate it, Brother Greg, so much what you did this morning uh, for us in leading it. But our worship was not perfect this morning. You know how I know that? Because I know what I was dealing with. I was listening to the song, singing the song, and then my mind would drift. And then, then you'd say something, I'd come back in, and then it would drift. And I'd begin to think about, I want to go to Raising Cane's for lunch today. Now, come on, folks. Don't tell me you don't deal with the same thing. You're not perfect. You're all doing it. Doing, some of you are doing that right now. Will you shut up? Because I want to go to eat before the Methodists get there and blunt by, clog up everything. That's right. I know what you're doing. I know where you are, and some of you are sitting there going, man, if he doesn't finish, I am going to nod off asleep like the deacons used to do. Back in the old days, they used to make, in my dad's church, they'd have the deacons all sit on the front row. And it was always fun because we sat on the back row and you'd watch the deacons. You know, you heard of bobbleheads? Well, we should have had deacon bobbleheads because they were asleep. We don't offer perfect worship here, but there we are going to have perfect worship. John MacArthur says of heaven, it is the, where the most perfect worship of him have occurs. It is in the sense that we may say heaven is his dwelling place. Fourth of all, and this one is one I'm sure you know, heaven is indescribably beautiful. Have you ever... Um, experience something really awesome. Maybe it was a worship service where God's presence just settled in. Or, or maybe you're out west and you're on top of Pikes Peak and the, the storm is rolling in and, it, and it's just an absolutely stunning sight. Or you're sitting on the beach and you're watching the, the waves crash in or you're out on a boat somewhere and you see a humpbacked whale make its way uh, up out of the water. And, and you're trying to go back and tell somebody about that experience. You know what I'm saying? And you can't put it into words. Sometimes you just have to look at him and say, man, you should have just been there. You can't figure out how to really say it. Well, as much as we understand based on Scripture and what the writers have given to us, it's beyond even words. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 2.9, says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. No eye has seen. 
We can't even, there's nothing that we see here today that, that really gives us a true sense of what heaven will be like. There's not words that we've heard. There's not things that we can imagine in our heart that gives us an adequate enough concept of how indescribably beautiful heaven is going to be. You're just going to have to be there. And I hope you are. If you aren't, you're going to miss out on the greatest thing of all. I mean, you, you read Ezekiel. He, he does his best in Ezekiel 1 to kind of try to picture this, this thing. And we read Ezekiel and we go, wow, I don't understand all the, the, the symbolisms and all the stuff's going well, Ezekiel's doing his best to try to put into words what he's experiencing. John, in the book of Revelation, tries his best to put into words to help us to understand. But the greatest poets, the greatest masters of words, the greatest artists of all time will never be able to adequately describe what heaven is like. Indescribably beautiful. you probably heard the story if you have that's fine. This is a nap time for you. About the guy that was very rich. And just before he died, he made his wife go and fill his briefcase with bars of gold. Grabbed his briefcase. And I don't know how he did it, but he died and took his briefcase and he appeared at the gates of heaven. And Peter said, what's in the briefcase? He said, it's something I want to bring with me. He said, well, what's in the briefcase? He said, it's something I want to bring. He said, well, open up and let me see. And he opened up, and there were those bars of gold. And Peter said, oh, pavement. He says, well, it's streets of gold, right? Indescribably beautiful. But then fifth of all, this one's going to maybe challenge you a little bit. Heaven is both present and when we use the word heaven, it, we often use it in an all-exclusive, inclusive manner. But the Bible teaches there is a present heaven, which is temporary, and there is a future heaven that will continue on forever. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this. Next week, we're going to talk about the present heaven. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about the future heaven. But present heaven is the intermediate heaven where believers go when they die. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Philippians 1, 23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Now, there are groups, and we'll talk about it next week, they talk about, well, in between, there's, you know, before the future heaven, we're going to just have soul sleep. Others talk about purgatory. That's not biblical. The Bible says to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. We're going to go the minute we die into the presence of the Lord in the present heaven where we are right now. That's why Jesus said to the thief on the cross, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And it is there in that present heaven that we're awaiting what the Bible calls the future heaven, which is the new heaven and the new earth that God will create at the consummation of all ages. Revelation chapter 21, we'll go back there again if you go to the next slide. It says, then I saw the new heaven and a new earth. Did you read that? Behold, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And, and there's all this debate. Is it literally going to 
go away completely or is God renewing it? You know, there's debates on both sides of it. It doesn't matter what it says to us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and whatever form that first heaven and the first earth did, it's going to pass away. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And we're going to talk about this. Heaven and earth are going to be joined together. We don't understand that in our present age today because they're not joined together. But there's going to come a day when they are going to be joined together. And that's going to open things wide up because, you know, we picture this idea that when we die, we're just going to go up there and pluck harps on the clouds, right? Is that what we do? Well, if he's creating a he earth and he's describing it in terms of earth like we have today, don't you think it might be something kind of similar in the sense that I think in heaven we're going to be creating things, we're going to be designing things, we're going to be doing things. Because everything, now listen to what I say, when you're in heaven and you're in a perfect state, everything you do brings glory to God. Even your work brings glory to God. But, but in this new heaven and new earth, God is going to create it. Isaiah 65 says, Behold, I create new heaven and a new earth. Even in the Old Testament, he said, there's coming this time, a new heaven and new earth. And God is going to join that heaven and earth together. For I saw a new heaven and a new earth. John MacArthur writes, Eternal heaven will be different from the heaven where God now dwells. God will renovate the heavens and the earth, merging His heaven with a new universe for a perfect dwelling place that will be our home forever. In other words, heaven, the realm where God dwells, will expand to encompass the entire universe of creation, which will be fashioned into a perfect and glorious domain fit for the glory of heaven. The apostles described this as the hope of every redeemed person. We, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth where dwells righteousness. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that new heaven and new earth. Amen? And it is there that God is going to give us our promised resurrection bodies. Because he says in Philippians where we were earlier, that He is going to transform our lowly bodies. Lowly means this earth suit that I've got on right now. And as handsome as it is, Jim, it's going to look even better when I get my glorified body. Amen? And we're going to talk about that a little bit. We won't have a whole lot of time on that. But it is going to be a body that is like Jesus and is suited for this new heaven and this new earth. And there's a lot of really cool things, and this is not superstition because we're going to have a body like Jesus, right? And what did Jesus do? These physical walls didn't hold Jesus back. Hallelujah. It's going to be awesome, unlike anything that you have ever experienced. And it's going to be the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophets and their prophecies of the new kingdom that's going to be set up. But you don't want to miss when we talk about that future heaven that's coming our way. In fact, you don't want to miss the next two messages. If there's any message you've got to miss, don't miss next week's. But we're going to talk about this present heaven and, and what it's like. But, but here's what I want to say to you as we close out today. All I've done is really just give you a preview. It didn't sound like a preview to me. It sounded like a long-winded sermon. But in comparison to eternity, it is. You don't want to miss out on 
There's one final point that I want to make. It's not in your notes, but jot it in your memory. The most important thing I may say to you this day is that heaven is a free gift. See, we've been talking about all this heaven stuff and what's awaiting us and what's available for us. And some of you are thinking, man, I hope I can get there. I hope when I die, in fact, we used to ask a question in Evangelism Explosion, do you know for certain if you were to die today that you're going to heaven? And people would say to me all the time, well, I hope so. I'd like to. I'm doing my best. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get there. And they're always living with this uncertainty because in their minds, it's not something that's free. It is something that they have to earn. It's something they have to deserve. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you today as we wind up, there's none of us that deserves heaven. We screwed that up when we were born because we were born with a sin nature. The only thing you and I ever deserved was hell. But God wanted us to be with Him. He created heaven, and He offers it to us as a free gift. So maybe the most important question, now listen to what I'm going to ask you today, because I'm going to take you down another path, and I want you to think about this, and I want you to seriously think about it. We ask the question, do you know for certain that if you were to die today, that you're going to heaven. And some of you are a good little Billy Baptist, and you know the right answer. Yeah, I know I'm going to heaven because I believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, yada, yada. And we can rattle off all the right answers. But I want to ask you a question this morning. It's more important. Do you want to go to heaven? And, and the reason I ask that is because... People dilly-dally around heaven and they kind of go around it and they skirt around it, but do we really, do you really, really want to go to heaven? Now, I'm not asking you to tell me what you ought to say. I'm not asking for you to tell me what you think you ought to say. I'm asking you, do you really want to go to heaven? If your answer to that is yes, then it's a free gift. Look over real quick as we close out. Revelation chapter 22. We're going to be looking, and, and it's going to be a whirlwind run, so you're going to have to come ready to go when we talk about the future heaven. But, but in Revelation chapter 20, 21, or 20, really, excuse me, 21 and 22, he's going to unpack this whole future heaven that awaits. But as, as he winds this thing down in, in Revelation 22, here, here's what John records, verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say what? Come. And let he who hears say what? Come. And let the one who is thirsty do what? Come. Let the one who desires to take of the water of life, that is what? Free. Wait a minute, Pastor. I've seen those little freebies. There always is a catch to them. Yeah, yeah, they tell you to come get your free gift, but then when you get there, then they sell you the real estate. I'm here to tell you that there's no small print in God's contract. Heaven is a free gift to you. 
But it wasn't free to God because he had to send his one and only son to pay the price so you can go to him. Price has been paid. The ransom has been made. Here's the thing about a gift. I can offer you a gift this morning. I can lay it right here on this altar right here for everybody to see. But until you receive it, it does you no good. You can admire it. You can look at it. You can believe in it. You can confess it. You can describe it. You can talk about it. You can dream about it. You can wish about it. You can do all the things you want about it. But until you reach out and receive that gift, it does not become yours. Heaven is a free gift. Have you reached out this morning and received that gift? Say, how do I do that? Well, first of all, you've got to believe that Jesus Christ is God, is the Lord. You've got to believe that you're a sinner, and that's where we get the catch. We don't want to admit we've got a problem, but we have a problem. It's called sin, and we're a sinner. And then you've got to believe that God sent Jesus Christ into the world to die on that cross for your sins and trust in Him. Now, listen to what I'm going to say. This is the most important phrase. Believe in Him and Him alone. Salvation. And you can do that this morning. Whether you're on Facebook, whether you're here, whether you're listening somewhere, by simply saying, Lord Jesus, bow your heads this morning, right now. And if you're one of those that are here this morning and say, I don't know for certain that I'm going to heaven. Maybe you would say, I haven't really wanted to go to heaven, but man, hearing about it this morning, I really do want to go to heaven. Why don't you pray this prayer this morning in the quietness of your heart. Lord Jesus, if I were to die right now, I would not go to heaven. Because I'm a sinner separated from you. I want to go to heaven. I want to be with you forever. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay in full the penalty for my sin. I receive the gift of forgiveness. I receive the free gift of heaven. I ask you to come into my heart to be my Savior and my Lord. Take control of my life. Make me the person you want me to be. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you're in this room, I'm going to ask when we stand to sing in a moment for you to come and just say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer today. I accepted Christ into my heart as my Lord and Savior. If you did it on Facebook or listening uh, to it by digital means or some other means, all the church. Let somebody know. But if you're a believer already and you know the Lord, are you living in preparation for heaven? You think about it? Do you live like a citizen of heaven or do you live more like a citizen of this world? Are you investing in heaven by building treasures there? What are the treasures that you can take? Lord, I thank you for just a moment that we've had this time to open your word. Just be challenged again by the glorious truth of heaven. And while we're excited about the place, and we ought to be because you're excited about it, it's your creation, 
what really stirs our heart the most is you're there. <laughs> and, and we're going to get to be there. And, and we're going to get to experience life the way that it was meant to be lived. Not all the earth stuff that we're going through now. Sickness, disease, heartache, hurt, pain, loss, suffering, confusion, chaos, sin, murder, lying, stealing, cheating, greed, deceit, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, all that will be gone. We'll not only live in perfect relationship with you, but with one another. What a great place. Thank you, Father, for preparing such a place for us. May it fill our thoughts as we live our life here. In Jesus' name. Let's stand and we're going to close out with this song this morning, God of the possible. Heaven is possible because God has made it for us. Amen.